0: Stand with me as we pay honor to the reading of God's Word. Romans chapter 5, this evening, Romans chapter 5, verses 12 through 14, again, trying to think through, why do I need to be rescued? This is God's Word to His people. Therefore, just as sin came into the world through one man, and death through sin, and so death spread to all men because all sinned. For sin indeed was in the world before the law was given, but sin is not counted where there is no law. Yet death reigned from Adam to Moses, even over those whose sinning was not like the transgression of Adam, who was a type of the one who was to come. This is God's word to his people, and we're thankful that he has preserved it for us. Let's open with a word of prayer. Father, we come to you tonight very much aware that we've thought about three previous times about this idea of being rescued. And now we ask the ultimate question, why do I need to be rescued? And so I pray that you would help us to uh, press into the reality that your word alone is living and active and is sharper and will change the hearts and affections of men. So we ask that through the work of the Spirit and the preaching of your word, people would change to be more like you, or perhaps, Father, if they don't know you, um, that they would trust in you for the forgiveness of their sins. We also recognize tonight that we don't have the corner market on the gospel, that we're not the only church that's gathering to proclaim uh, the truth and the message of who you are and what you've done for us. Think of our friends at Second Baptist and the pastor there, John Britchett, that you would watch over them, that you would see them uh, expand and their ministry would carry forward as a result of their faithfulness to follow you so be with us now as we consider your word together it's in your son's name we pray amen what would you give right now to know everything you needed to know right now i'll ask that question again because it may be a little bit puzzling get your brains going this evening what would you give to know everything you needed to know right now. We've all done it or said it at some point in our life, or at least thought it, when am I going to use this in real life? That principle carries us uh, through many a conversation in school. Um, I've asked myself that multiple times. I'm asking myself that daily Right now, I'm taking a class that is required by the accreditors of the institution that I attend that has no bearing on my ability whatsoever to be a pastor. And so I ask myself daily, why am I doing this? And I don't have an answer yet, so when I get one, maybe I will tell you. So it's not just when you're in high school and it's not just when you're in college. You're going to ask yourself for the rest of your life, why do I need to do this? in reality, we would all love to have perfect, omniscient knowledge, right, just like God, and know everything that we've ever needed to know right now for the rest of our life. That way we could just stop learning altogether. But that is one of the things innately inside of us that shows us the difference between God and ourselves. Uh, This means, though, that in addition to needing to hear the good news of the gospel, people need to know why it is good news we don't talk about this a lot in our evangelism classes we go you know somebody's got a whiteboard like i do on sunday and they're taking you through like how to share the gospel and point one and point two and point three and then you do this and you say that you got this neat little cute script and a lot of times what we gloss over when we're talking about sharing the gospel with people is why people need the gospel in other words if someone ever tells you or were to walk up to you and tell you they have the greatest news that they could ever share with you, you're probably wondering why it is such great news. You're not just going to blindly assume that what they're about to share with you is the greatest news. In fact, when people walk up to me and start in on a pitch like that anymore, I'm just assuming that they're trying to get me into a multi-level marketing scheme or as Uh, Jim famously pointed out to Michael a pyramid scheme. This is one of my favorite scenes in the entire office where Jim says, Michael, you're in a pyramid scheme. He's like, no, I'm not in a pyramid scheme. And then he literally draws, uh, and Michael says, oh my, Jim, I'm in a pyramid scheme. More often than not, if someone walks up to me and starts in with, I have the greatest news for you, it's normally to get me involved in selling some product and and in reality until someone understands why the gospel is really good news they never can really appreciate the good news of the gospel if you don't know why you need the gospel then really at the end of the day you hear it and you're like i'm not really that bad of a person why do i need this and so what paul does in these verses is he begins to set the stage he's building these putting these building blocks together if you will to make people understand why the gospel is good news in the first place and paul lays out for us two parts of why we need to be rescued and then alludes to the hope that we have in the gospel so yes i I do have three movements or points for you this evening but the first two are tied together and the first one points us in the direction where we need to go first You need to recognize this tonight, and this is uh, a painful truth, but sin causes death. Sin causes death. Verse 12, Therefore, just as sin came into the world through one man, and death through sin, and so death spread to all men because all sin. Paul now links this section here, verses 12 through 14, to what's preceded it. And Paul describes that, through one man, through one person, sin enters into the world. And when sin enters into the world, what it brings with it is death. That fascinating statistic that one out of every one person will physically die. We're always just shocked by that number. I get, oh man, intriguing statistic. No, it's a, it's a settled reality. One out of every one person will physically die. But there's an underlying bigger problem than merely you will die physically. It's that you will die spiritually. And so, us being on our A-game tonight, I want you to flip over to Ephesians 2, just for a second, so you see this, where Paul is linking this. Ephesians 2 1 and 2 says, And you were dead in the trespasses and sins in which you once walked, following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience. You, you should, if you are comfortable writing in your Bible there in Ephesians chapter 2, you should circle you. Draw a little arrow above it and put, I am. So that when you read Ephesians 2, 1 and 2, or I guess you should say, I was, if you're a Christ follower, and I was dead in the trespasses and sins in which I once walked following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience. You were dead in your trespasses and sins. Dave Voss was dead in his trespasses and sins. We are pointed to this reality here that sin causes and brings death. We're born dead spiritually. This is a problem. This presents a major problem that we're born dead spiritually because. For humanity, they need to be made alive if they want to avoid a permanent existence of death and life to come. This is a remarkable spiritual reality. You know, it is, this May will be two years that Harper has been with us. We've had her since just after um, she was born, like literally le- almost 24 hours. And here's a remarkable reality. We walked into a room, and we waited, 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 and then we waited some more, and they wheeled in this small little baby. And at one moment, there in front of us was someone who was very much physically alive, but is presently dead spiritually. little baby because you're born dead in your trespasses and sins and unless she is made alive by the work of the spirit through the preaching of the word and she repents and believes in christ she will spend eternity spiritually separated and literally separated and physically separated from god in a real Eternal place of damnation. I mean, there's just that's the settled reality that is being brought out in this particular text. And it's not just that it affects Adam. Further, this death has spread to all of humanity. Everybody. You, the Blues Brothers saying, you, me, them, everybody. Everybody. It affects everyone. There is no one exempt. I always love this. They're like, I'm not a bad person. I didn't say that you were a bad, a bad person. I am just saying that you're dead in your trespasses and sins in which you are walking. Well, I'm not really that bad. This says that you are bad. And it's worse than bad. It says that you're dead. So it's not just that you're a good or bad person. You're dead. So death spread to all men because all sin. 1 John 1, 8-10 says, If we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves, and the truth is not in us. But if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. If we say we have not sinned, we make him, God, a liar, and his word is not in us. idea that Adam brings sin into the world, and everybody's like, "That I, if I was there, that wouldn't have happened. If you were there, it probably would have happened faster. If I was there, we probably would have. It, Genesis 1 rolls into Genesis 2, you know, get a nice statement about uh, God taking a break and resting on the Sabbath day, setting it apart and making it holy, and then probably sooner than 3, boom, we're plunged into sin if you can't be that honest about your own sinful condition i don't know how to help you and furthermore we understand that we're like that's not fair i wasn't there right how is it fair that adam sins and this gets passed on to all of us we all understand this penalty in life all of us play sports where somebody does something stupid and the whole team is penalized as a result of this Some of you have been in classes where a less than um, intelligent person did something and the teacher penalized the whole group. I've been kicked out of classrooms for doing nothing, literally nothing, because the teacher thought that we had done something. Now, granted, we had a track record up to that point. (laughs) I literally was like, I did nothing. We understand the principle of what, is happening here in this verse that because of the sin of one person, death comes to all of humanity. I, 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 it, it's pretty quiet in here tonight. Do you see how grave this situation is? Do you see how grave the situation is for people who don't know Christ? I, I've been troubled recently because we have no grow. We have no really formal outreach going on right now. We're, we're working on, I'm, I'm literally working on a plan, literally in the Parks and Rec, every sense of that word. Literally working on something right now for our church with the help of some of our staff to, to try and galvanize us and move us to, to, to do outreach. But I was reading this text this week, I, I couldn't help but think, why do we constantly have to feel like as staff pastors and college pastors and student pastors and, you know, whatever pastor go, go up and down the hall, why do we constantly have to whip up church people to go and share the gospel? Why do we constantly have to be like, here's this new program, here's this new strategy, here's this new way, do it this way, do it that way, evangelism training here, evangelism training there, let's do a Bible study on doing evangelism. Why do we constantly have to be told to go and share the gospel when we read texts like Romans 5? This should keep us up at night. Robbie Gallaty says, the gospel came to you on its way to someone else. And it's like, well... We don't have growth, so I can't share the gospel. Seriously? And maybe tonight the big issue isn't that you are not being faithful to share the gospel. It's the fact that you've not been rescued from your condition of being dead in sin. How can you share what you have not experienced? How can you tell someone what you do not know? Maybe that's why so many of our church people don't share about Christ. They actually don't know him. So in addition to first seeing that sin causes death, then what Paul does to help us is gives us a brief history of sin. Look at verses 13 and 14. For sin indeed was in the world before the law was given, but sin is not counted where there is no law. Yet death reigned from Adam to Moses, even over those whose sinning was not like the transgression of Adam. Paul desires here for his listeners that they would understand the pervasiveness and the reach and the power of sin. And this is why he highlights its history. Paul explains that even before the formal law is given, think of uh, Leviticus, think of Deuteronomy specifically, and before the formal law is given, sin is in the world. This, by the way, for all you apologetics fans, gives... Good reason for why we understand that there is a such thing as a moral law. How can people know that there is sin in the world if we don't have a law? Well, that's because it's written on the human heart. What is right and wrong? It explains this idea of sin being in the world without a formal law being given. explains how people understand what is right and wrong innately. So just for funsies. If in order for you to know that there is something sinful and wrong, you'd know that there is evil that exists in the world. Well, in order for evil to exist in the world, something good has to exist in concert with it. For how can you determine what is evil if you don't understand what is good? So if we have evil and we have good, well, someone has to give us a reason for there being good and evil, i.e. that moral law that written on the tablet of our heart that we know what is right and wrong. So we've got evil, we've got good, we know that there's something as, we can, maybe we can't call it a moral law, but that's what we know it is now. Therefore, there must be a moral law giver. So God has written innately inside of humanity. That's why people say, well, how can evil exist in the world that's around us? How can God allow sin like this to exist? how do you know what is evil unless you know what is good? And how do you know what determines good from evil unless someone tells you? And who is the one who is telling you but God himself? Beloved, this history of sin points us to the fact that what the law does is it sharpens our understanding of sin. It puts parameters around it. It's not counted prior to the law. refers to the sharpening effect that the law had with sin. Notice that Paul articulates the reach that original sin has through humanity. Read these verses with me. It says in verse 14, yet death reigned from Adam to Moses even without that law. It's been here forever. Death still reigned over all those descendants of Adam even though they didn't commit the original sin that Adam committed. We're like, um, <coughs> I did not eat that fruit, okay? So, like, I'm off the hook, right? I wasn't there. I didn't do it. Paul is saying, no, just because you're not there, and just because you didn't do what Adam did, not you know, I'm a little bit frustrated. I, I understand that Adam stands for all of humanity, and Eve is lump in with Adam here it does kind of gripe me here that Adam is the only one who's called out in Romans 5 like there were two people there they were participating in this the collective act together but yet here we isn't that always the way never mind we'll just move on <laughs> just because you didn't commit the original sin that Adam does doesn't make, it make you off the hook left to your own devices you will sin is what Paul is getting at here. Because we're always like, ah, you know, I'm not an axe murderer. Right. You're just a heart murderer. You just look at people with anger in your heart, you've committed murder already, according to Jesus. So, congratulations for not being an axe murderer. You just secretly murder people in your heart. It's amazing when we actually read the scriptures closely with the intent that is driven there. How pervasive the power of sin is. We've got to recover an understanding of the destructive and powerful nature of sin. For whatever reason, we seem to just kind of treat sin as like it's a bad thing. It's a mistake I occasionally make. It's really not that deadly. Well, it is deadly if sin cannot enter into the presence of God without being ultimately destroyed. It is deadly for us to think that we can exist in sin and somehow uh, be a Christ follower. Like I just have kind of like this little side hustle on uh, uh, over here of my sin and, and God can have, you know, 97.3% of me. I, I, you have to ask yourself, what have you done to deal with the consequences of sin in general? So have you come to know Christ? I mean, going to continually ask you that question here. And what have you done and what are you continuing to do to fight against the sin that you will commit? The idea that you're not done sinning. It's what Romans 5, 6, 7, and 8 are preparing to do. They're the greatest section of of, of scripture passages helping you to fight back against sin. And a lot of Christians are like, well, you know, everybody sins. Because everybody sins is not a license to sin more. That's what Paul gets at, uh, kind of steal the thunder of where we would head in Romans 6. What shall we say then? Are we to continue in sin that grace may abound? By no means. How can we who have died to sin still live in it? Christians are like, eh, not that big of a deal. You have to trust in Christ today. If you don't know him, trust in him today. If you have, then Run to him in dealing with your sin. But take sin seriously. My goodness, what a little uproar we've made in the world around us by make America great again. It would be nice if Christians would focus more around rallying, around take sin seriously rather than make America great again. Because guess what? America can be great all day long and twice on Sundays, but if you don't take your sin seriously, there's a judgment day that is coming that is going to be far worse than you could ever hope for or dream of. I, I, I'm fearful. Christians seem to not want to take sin seriously. And we need to. We must. I must, you must. So what does this all set us up for? Well, it sets us up for Paul to allude to who is coming to to provide the rescue. And in verse 14, the, the last little part there, I call it 14C. I've never understood A, B, and C parts of verses. You're kind of either in 14 or you're not, but we'll call it 14C, whatever. Who was a type of the one who was to come? Adam is a type. He's a, the, the first Adam comes, but a second Adam is required. A second Adam who's not like the first Adam. Jesus must come. The second Adam will obey and keep the law perfectly and not sin. His life will be one of active obedience to the Father. If you want to listen to a wonderful... That illustrates this. You could listen to um, an artist known as Shylin talk about Jesus Christ and His active obedience. It'd be worth the four minutes of your life that you would waste anyway, listening to something edifying. I know I probably need to listen to it a couple more times. Christ will die a death He did not have to die in order to rescue the offspring of the first Adam. case you're wondering who you're with you're with the first Adam not the second Adam until the second Adam adopts you into his family what a cool picture that the one who didn't need to die comes and dies and he doesn't stay dead after three days he defeats death and sin and the grave and he offers us to be adopted into his family he redeems us been rescued though we say well here's the need for being rescued you well we've come to see the need we're sinful there's no good thing that dwells in us apart from Christ coming and rescuing us when I better understand why I need to be rescued it allows me to more fully appreciate what Christ has done for me it also encourages me to go slowly when I share Christ. Because in order for someone to understand why the gospel is good news, they must first understand the reality of bad news. Don't get in a rush, beloved, as you go back to campus or to your job or just to hanging out with friends or a coffee shop this week and you strike up a conversation. Don't rush through the bad news to get to the good news. Linger in the bad news. We seem to be okay with that in every other sphere of life. Every morning we're awakened by bad news. Bad news sells. Christian, linger in the bad news. Don't stay there, but make sure people understand the reality of their condition apart from Christ. That bad news shows them who they really are and what they really need we're not careful we rush to get to jesus and i'm not i'm a fan i love jesus big fan but when we truly understand our condition it should create in us more gratitude it should humble us press us to trust in christ even more than we already do let's pray together this